from TMP to TTNG For sure the cure and those tired meme jeans Hella Kinsella and the promise ring Sunny day real estate and rights this spring Prince Twinkle Daddy's help keep the dream alive I constantly thank God for Algernon and Remo Christie front drive. Mineral snowing high tide hotelier and more. Rio Limo only consists of the DC emotive hardcore. episode 46 i said 46 last time and everyone was like yeah that's right this is episode 46 for real um 46b <laughs> so Epic. this is our final a decade under the influence album episode we're gonna keep it going with some interviews and such and we still have to do the 2019 rest of episode and the winner by literally two votes it became two votes between the winner and the runner-up which was prince daddy but the winner went to third time guest of the podcast origami <laughs> angel wait really i yeah. know that's that's what this episode was <laughs> damn that's sick was that yeah. the end of the year thing yeah wait are you serious that you didn't know that you won holy shit i think someone someone told me that we won on tour but i thought it was like of the month type thing we got the year one you got album of the month on the subreddit, but this podcast is no longer affiliated with the subreddit. This is something completely else. No, you got album of the year. <laughs> Holy shit. That's really cool. So we're only going to talk about oh. that album on this podcast. <laughs> I just walked into this. All right. <laughs> Dope. All right. Cool. Wow. This is great. That was like the most wholesome thing that's maybe ever happened on this podcast. <laughs> it's like the only wholesome thing that's happened on this podcast. I don't think Damn. that's the only wholesome as a as a rule i'm pretty unwholesome but i think kyle is like you know old school midwestern wholesome so it balances out well yeah Yeah. you 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 were like completely offended when when i said jizz on the podcast that's true it's gross (laughs) don't ever say it again (laughs) damn actually no i'll make it i'll pay you i'll like no that's not true i'm poor i was gonna say i'll paypal you like 25 bucks if you say the word cummies on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) i can't i can't afford that so yeah we're gonna be diving deep into somewhere city um, oh shit okay (laughs) which uh someone i forgot someone was like are you even gonna do a 2019 episode because it's like recency bias and i think the way that people voted it was like there weren't that many other options of like 
definitive like this album dominated 2019 and i mean i think it was gonna be either you or prince daddy yeah no question yeah we just got it because we released our album later i don't know like uh i do no maybe who knows no no, just because the hype like for your album just like fucking exploded i guess so they i mean they they had like the hypest album campaign ever i mean that's a great album too yeah. Oh, we but got I stuff. Look. We got stuff in this in this rundown about how hype your rollout was, though. So, oh, which shit. is a good point to bring oh, up that, that 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 like your album rollout and the Prince Daddy album rollout were both very elaborate. Prince Daddy was doing the like posting like corners of the album thing for like seemed like forever. Yeah, that was yeah. really cool. I liked that a lot. I think this is how you market a fucking album in in 2019, 2020. Like, no more of that fucking soon posting, like, a date, and then on the date you post soon and post another date. Like, <laughs> we're, fucking, we're fucking done with that shit. This is, this is Gami Gang Marketing 101. <laughs> well, I think it's cool because, like, a lot of, like, uh, just, like, the releases this year had a very cool online but not, like, overbearing marketing scheme marketing tactic or whatever especially like i feel like um the future teens rollout was really cool like everything that they did with that and just like uh how they tied into like the releases of their singles and stuff like that and how it came out and i think it's just like obviously as the idea of an e-band becomes more and more the norm like that's just like what this whole rollout idea is going to gravitate to you know like streaming based online like twitter based music you know it's it's kind of crazy that it's like that's how that's effective you know it's it's weird that it is effective but i think uh it's really cool uh to see that have sort of a response and like kind of have a direct link between an audience and a you know artist it's 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 interesting and it's cool and i think it's it's an honor to like that people consider it like what we did really cool is just because like i don't know for for us we were just like we want to do something fun you know we want to do something that we haven't done before uh right. which is kind of how we, we come in and approach every like new release that we do is just like let's do something we haven't really tried yet and see where it goes and then you know me lex and pat came up with this rollout thing and people seem to like it and you know a lot of people put a lot of hard work in jamie coletta put a lot of hard work in lex put a ton of hard work in we worked kind of hard you know <laughs> and it makes me really happy that people thought it was dope because i thought it was dope too honestly um and that's cool do you think yeah. that it was kind of jarring because like you were seen as i mean you still are seen and you, because you are still a diy band but like most diy bands are doing the things that we just talked about where they spam fucking midwest emo, emo posting with out with a song dropping tomorrow here's a still from the fucking music video and then that's their marketing plan. It's just a spam. So do you think like this was new territory for DIY followers? I wouldn't say that it's like necessarily new territory because I feel like as far as like the greater whole of DIY, there have been some pretty cool online campaigns and stuff like that. And not just doing the big things coming soon. Here's the music thing. I mean, obviously like Prince Daddy was like nearly a half a year before our record. Um, I'm trying to think of other like cool online things. The goodness rollout was kind of cool. I was also a little bit younger then, but that you know, uh, but I guess that again they were like pretty big by that time. I we think about like a smaller level DIY thing. I think you know I've seen really cool elements and stuff like that uh, before, like of a rollout. And obviously, I think it is just like 
some people don't have the resources to to put in stuff like that. Some people don't have people that are going to dedicate time yeah. to doing that. And some people, you know, don't see the value just because like they might be short on time. You know, they, they might have other circumstances revolving around like what the core principles of their band is. So I think it's, you know, I'm not going to like shame people for not going to am, you know, like on, on some marketing yeah. stuff because to pe- different people, it's like what's important, you know, and who's to say like what the difference would be if we just did that too. Like who knows? Like, you know, do you think the music would get by on its own? I mean, there's a case to be said where some people might say, yeah, you know, I think our shit is dope regardless of how we market it. Some people might just think that going about it the best way or go, the best way of going about it is, a, uh, you know, hitting our slash emo with the, mm-hmm. with a nice little drop with in the uh, tomorrow. My recommended <laughs> if you like FFO. Yeah. No, FFO. I feel like, I feel like if you put like a shit ton of effort into your music and you're super proud of it, then you owe it to yourself to put a shit ton of effort into your marketing and be really proud of that too. That's definitely, yeah. definitely, I, I feel the same way. Um, but we've also like been lucky enough to have people who have like reinforced that idea. I mean, you know, we've had a manager and a, you know, a former, but you know, at the time label manager in Lex and we've had, you know, help like, past gen three like jamie was there to kind of guide us along the way of press and stuff like that so it definitely i definitely understand when some bands are you know just getting the feel of like what it is to release something uh that they would go about it in that way that we mentioned before um just because you know i feel like another thing for us that i didn't really think about till literally right now uh we put out you know three releases in 2019 Yep, and we put out one in 2018. We put out one in 2017. Summer City was our fifth release as a band, and while it was our first full-length record, it's like we kind of had built up a little bit of uh, of an idea of how to release music, how to market it ourselves, and stuff like that. I feel like if we had just come out with like you know an EP and then an LP, or like two EPs and then an LP off the bat, like we wouldn't have had the uh, the disposition to kind of do what we did with Somewhere City. And I think that, you know, I'm grateful that we took that because in the, you know, I feel like there's a, in the internet age of music, there is like a necessity in young bands' minds to want to put stuff out. Like immediately, though, we got to get this out right now ASAP, you know, we need to live in the now and never, you know, plan. But, uh, and I, I'm guilty of that, you know, I, I always feel like that. I'm always like, I want people to hear what I'm doing right now. But I'm, I'm pretty glad that <laughs> there are people who convinced me that it was a, good idea to stick to the path that we were on and take our time and really just get better at doing what we we wanted to do and then you know make it the best that we could fuck yeah that little conversation touched on like all of my questions in like a little bit of oh shit sense. um so <laughs> to like keep I'm a little bit of I'm order so to what i like no, i'm kidding i'm kidding to, to to what i put up here um going back to was it 2018 is when we did the emo freshman class, which you appeared emo on. Emo freshman class. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, that was... It's, it's occurred to me, we've been riding Gami's deck for like two points. <laughs> <laughs> so, Yo, that was so cool. I like, I didn't expect to be on that shit and it was so cool to be on it. I, I remember listening to that episode and freaking out. <laughs> that, that freshman class is like kind of proven to be all the big bands of the scene like now currently which is cool as fuck i think around the time that doing the most came out specifically is where uh i started to see people like outside of the circle of homies talking about you um 
I'd say the same. Like, do you do you know like what kind of gave you that boost around that release? Around doing the most, um, yeah. I would say that you know while we were like writing and recording that and still playing shows off quiet hours, um, we had been making a lot more friends. You know, I met Dree and on the second and third show we've ever played, we played at Grateful Acres, um, and I met Dree. I met we met Morning Dew, uh, so we had homies there, and I think you know just like starting to become more of a part of like the internet scene and being online and shit, uh, finding bands like us and s- stuff like that, just, you know, kind of being connected with the wider group of homies. And then I genuinely do think doing the most was probably the biggest step up musically that we have experienced. I mean, not to, you know, rag on our first EP because I still think it's sick. I just, I remember when we wrote, recorded and released doing the most, it was one of the most proud moments of my life just because like it felt very real it felt like i could see actual progress in front of my eyes uh musically and having like a wider source of homies already like you know knowing about us and hearing that and seeing the improvement i feel like there was a lot of people promoting that and like a lot of people more willing to like invest in us just because you could see a trend of and a progression you know um yeah i definitely think like that's like a common thing too. Like bands, second EPs usually get like a lot. People will care a little bit more about a band if their second EP is like a noticeable improvement over their first, mm-hmm. you know? And I think like that so, kind yeah. of, you know, work like that. Yeah. I don't know. Not that I didn't like quiet hours. Cause I do, <laughs> I do really like that EP. Um, but I remember, uh, Claudio was like, yo, I asked Ryland if you could hear the new Gami EP and, <laughs> Ryland said yes, so I'm gonna I'm gonna send it to you. And then I literally like texted Kyle, like basically like <laughs> live tweeted Kyle and Claudio like my reaction to the EP, and my mind was holy shit. <laughs> every Damn, thank seconds. you. And you've just like upped the ante musically on like every subsequent release to the point where thank like thank you, thank you. Well, I I, I I should probably say this when we get into the music part, but like All right, on, cool. just on, <laughs> sorry to fangirl. No worries, not a problem at all. There was like that video of you playing, I think it was ROM hack, like on a mandolin or something. Am I imagining this right? Did we lose Ryland? Sure. Yeah. I heard Kyle say there was a video of you playing, ah, and then it cut out. Okay. Oh. It, was it ROM hack on a mandolin or something? It definitely was ROM hack on a oh. mandolin. All right, cool. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I remember just like a lot of big bands, like, tweeting that and being like yo this band is the future and shit like that mom jeans quote tweeted that and was like this band is like but they basically just said like rylan's a really good songwriter and that like this band is gonna be really important and i remember seeing that and kind of just being like that's got to be like a fan account right that's not actually mom jeans. Like, <laughs> <laughs> who did that and then seeing the blue check marker or whatever you know like, or, like maybe they're not verified but it was like official mom jeans like the, the account that i follow i start freaking out uh it was crazy to get that. And there was like, yeah, there's other people like commenting on that and being like, this is really cool. I don't know why it was the mandolin video that brought right. that out, but I think that that's awesome. Uh, I'm really glad that I posted that. Um, I'd never seen a direct response to it, like any sort of social media posts like that before. Um, and yeah, it was just a video of Romhack on Twitter. It was really cool. Yeah. And uh, it's, to it's... see that sort of response. Yeah, and like like now with like Somewhere City, like I was watching the Blink One Fifty Five like Twitch stream of a movie, and then the fucking Twitch chat was all talking about or- Origami Angel oh, for some fuck. reason. 
and, I, and missed, I, was, I missed that. It was and, writing and, in Vans with Boys, right? Was it good? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. that one was way better than the the F word one. Word. Yeah, it, it was just like, well, so like this whole subculture that I'm a part of that has nothing to do with emo I was talking about. Say so, hey, that the Blink-155 niche has nothing to do with emo. <laughs> like, I feel like there is significant overlap in our audiences. <laughs> I mean, I'm not really in the niche. I just participate in some of the things, but I know... Oh, like, your brother's big time in the niche. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Fentuzler, yeah. That's another episode. I guess pivoting to my next topic here is the obligatory question of you were putting out EPs and splits consistently, and then the LP was like in talks. Like, there's no other way to word the question than everyone, and then how everyone words this question. But was there a different approach to writing the LP than the EP? But I think I know this was your first time in a studio with a producer, correct? Yeah. Well, so the funny thing about it is like we call it like our first time in a studio, like recording a record. So we did the drums uh, with Jake Checkaway in a studio in Philly. We did everything else in his apartment. Uh, (laughs) Like we did guitar and we did vocals. It was just with him recording instead of me recording, except all the harmonies on the record. I actually recorded in my bedroom. So it was still still a little bit of that DIY approach, you know. But yeah, it was definitely a step up in terms of primarily because of like what we could afford, you know, before there was real no really no other option than going about it on our own. Um, And like we could do it to an extent that we thought it fine enough for the music that we're putting out then. But we knew that when we wanted to do that, um, that first LP, we wanted to have a noticeable step up in quality and just attention paid to it and just, you know, going about it in a way that we felt a little bit more comfortable just focusing on the music side you know what we're actually playing instead of the production side too and then jake checkaway is a beast and he always hits out of the park and he really just as soon as he knows what we're going for he nails it and Mm -hmm. it was just great working with him and to continue working with him you know he's worked on every gami release post quiet hours this is the first one he recorded though which is really cool so like was there having all these eps banked up and stuff like that like was there any I mean, you obviously had some scope because everything is in somewhere city is, you know, what they flow into each other and everything. So, like, these songs <laughs> were all specifically written for somewhere city? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, the way that it kind of went from a writing thing was the first song that I wrote was actually the first song. Um, Welcome to is the first song that I wrote. The first complete song I wrote was that. I had the beginning of Say Less was written like way before anything else. And that wasn't necessarily written to me on Somewhere City. It just ended up making more sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but so the first full song I wrote was Welcome To. Obviously, that's like a little prefacing. The second song that I actually wrote was Everything Sans the uh, Medley Reprise at the end of the air up here was the last song. Uh, you know, I wrote everything except for that last ending as the second track. It wasn't supposed to be, you know, it was going to be the closer the whole time, but that was the second song I wrote. And I knew that I had like that beginning and that ending. There was actually a point in time where Somewhere City was going to be an EP, like a six track EP. And I remember sending Lex the demo of a super early, like acoustic demo of Welcome To. And this, we're talking like 20, maybe like February, 2018 here. Holy shit. Yeah, like over two years ago now. Oh wow! But oh, and she's like, I do remember like in 2018 talking to you on Twitter, and you were like, "Oh yeah, I have like this double album planned." 
<laughs> yeah, where did that go? Uh, I don't know, but this happened instead. <laughs> but yeah, it was like I, I, you know, some stuff got separated. Originally, it was gonna be an EP. I showed it to Lex, and she was like, "Wait a minute, like, why are we making this an EP? Like, we could just go full out. You should write an LP around this." And I was like, "You know what? You're probably right. I could add a little depth." Blah blah blah. The track list has like almost no correlation to like what was written when like the the mm-hmm. second or third song that was completed was skeleton key uh say less was completed pretty easily or pretty early or ah, what the fuck my song say less was completed completed pretty early sorry there we go find your throne was an early one so i i had those songs and i was like this is definitely gonna be ep this is gonna be a banging ep like six tracks maybe seven who knows but then i was like fuck it 24 hour drive through Dr. Whom's 666 flags all got added. And then I was like, you know, we can definitely fill this out at, at 10 songs and then kind of build the narrative within it. And I think that it worked out for the best. And then people stopped asking where our LP was. It was awesome. <laughs> that is like one of the weirdest things. People would be like, this band just needs to drop an LP. I'm like, we already wrote it. <laughs> like, can you can you just let us get to a financial position in which we can afford to record this in a proper you know setting? Um, but it's fine, you know. Going full Tyler Stars Hollow right there. Tyler would be like, buy this shirt so I can make another shirt so we can make another shirt so that the Stars Hollow LP can be funded. <laughs> and it works. That's the method. That's a they they got it done to a science. And you know what? That's cool. Tyler's Tyler's killing game. Big brain genius. I just said big brain genius and then took a sip of this water and then a little bit spilled on me. So that was pretty (laughs) – that was small brain, not genius. What's that called? Imbecile. Oatmeal brained is my favorite. Oatmeal brained. That's me. Oatmeal brained. Because like that's like the one insult that like can't get you labeled ableist like whatsoever. Because like I don't know if you know this but like on our socialism you get banned if you call things stupid or crazy. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I say oatmeal brand. Or the other thing I do is I say this thing is ableist slur worthy, which is a uh, <laughs> good cop out. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Holy shit. Damn. We're, Epic. I, Kyle has this question Were you pulling from any different inspirations? But I want to table that and talk about that when we get to like the full album discussion. So. Yeah. There's a third member of Origami Angel that's been mentioned a couple times, and I think she needs a proper introduction, and that is Lex. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lex is, uh, Lex is our manager, and she runs Chatterbot Records, which we have been on since 2017. Yeah, pretty early on in the Chatterbot Origami Angel relationship, we developed a working relationship um, where she was pretty involved in this band's trajectory. And it just kind of, you know, blossomed into, oh, she's going to be our creative manager. And, like, she's going to help me and Pat work through release ideas and rollouts and stuff like that. And while she may not contribute musically much, (laughs) um, she's been there pretty much not from day one because day one and a half. Let's say that, you know. Yeah, (laughs) She got on board very, very early and... We wouldn't be where we are without her. It was her birthday yesterday, so there's that. Oh, shit. Happy late yeah. birthday, Lex. Happy late birthday, Lex. Um, yeah. yeah uh, it, uh, she definitely like has made us a priority when she didn't really have to, which is really sick, and she saw a lot in this band. 
that I don't really think many other people like with her skill set saw immediately. And it's been a real treasure to work alongside her and to continue working with her. You know, we have no plans of yeah. stopping. Yeah, I'm really glad that uh, she's staying on as your manager. Uh, but by the way, congrats on the counterintuitive signing. That's yeah. fucking huge. Oh, thank you very much. Um, thank you very much. Yeah, I wouldn't have uh, it any other way. We talked about that pretty early on. Just everybody, you know, associated with this band. I was like, no matter where we sign, like we have to have Lex involved, and then uh, an equal amount. We also have to have Alex Martin involved, who uh, is our booking agent, who runs uh, the booking agency. You got a friend in Pennsylvania, also like one of the hardest working people I know. And yeah, we wouldn't do anything without them or Lex. Yeah, we need it's Alex like, Martin on ASAP. By the way, oh, <laughs> that would be so yeah. cool. It's cool that she's on still as your manager because I feel like uh, this isn't really a thing in DIY anymore. But I do think like uh, I I came up in a time where like if you transition even to like a bigger indie label, you'd be considered a like a sellout um, or like betraying Chatterbot. But I think the thing yeah. that a lot of people wouldn't understand, and I'm not even like close friends with Lex, but even from a distance, I can tell that she just puts so much fucking effort into the Absolutely. label and Dami has been growing like so exponentially that if she continued putting in that same level of effort like with Gami on a Chatterbot label as well as being the manager as well as handling every other band on the label it would like fucking kill her <laughs> Absolutely like it's it's crazy like um pre-orders and stuff ended up being like something like 1700 orders like shipped out like Holy some shit. Shit. and you know she's still it's doing insane. it like out of <laughs> you know uh, household not like a warehouse you know some people uh, and bigger labels do have access to that stuff and some people are oriented more to do that shit um, I think the cool thing about Chatterbot is there's always been a really cool in between of having that cool physical record game combined with that you know we're gonna have whatever type size bands you know I feel like there's a happy medium in there but then at the same time being able to dedicate the creative effort to a rollout being able to really find what makes a band a band and how to market that to people and how to tell people that they're going to enjoy it you know i feel oh, like yeah. like lex has this happy medium of all three of those things and it's just like it works for the the bands that she works with and it's it's honestly pretty amazing to see uh, it's i haven't paid attention to every label in the world but <laughs> in the last couple years i feel like chatterbot's been a very unique label in terms of diy and i think They've definitely like taken a formula and like made it their own, and just it's it's been really sick to be a part of, you know. Um, it's really cool, and it's it's you know one of the biggest honors that I I have to my name is being the first band ever signed to Chatterbot Records, you know. Like right. <laughs> back when no one gave a shit about Gami, I would still say that I'd be like I'd be like oh yeah, but we were the first band on Chatterbot, you know that. And would be like, oh okay, okay, I see. You. And oh, I'd yeah. be like yeah, 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 you know we're the first band. <laughs> Um, it's just, I don't know. It's also really important to me that we've done, uh, everything through Chatterbot up to this point. Cause Summer City has been, you know, a huge thing with Lex involved. And it's like, we couldn't have, you know, I, it wouldn't have felt right if Chatterbot wasn't at least involved in co-releasing that. And then I think it was for the best that we, we ended up just releasing it through Lex on the topic of labels, you know, like counterintuitive, it has always been in my mind, like one of the coolest labels in the game i think jake is like literally such a baller and like does like such good work for the bands that he works with uh and just like that next step label that i i've, I've always wanted to be a part of you know those bands are like 
a lot of the reason that I got into doing this shit on the level that we started doing it at, you know? So it's it's pretty surreal, honestly. It's cool stuff. Labels are crazy, but we're <laughs> we're really, very lucky to have been blessed with two amazing experiences so far. Yeah, it, ah. it, it kind of seems like Summer City is almost like a big like learning experience because it's like like based on the gami direct which we'll get to in a second it seemed like Definitely. no like no one was prepared for like <laughs> the explosion all. like 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 not in like a condescending like you weren't prepared for this but like no one was ready for to blow out through a first press before the album's even out sort of thing yeah no you're 100 percent right and it was totally a learning experience in in every way because of that <laughs> it's a uh... Uh, yeah, it was definitely like from all different angles of it. It was a learning experience. Um, but if you want to save that for the direct thing, we can we can do that for sure. We talked about the album rollout, but like, I mean, there were so many phases of it. It was this Instagram account that popped up. Then it was a website. Then it was like a game where you, you like leaked the the first single, and that yeah. I don't know if, and then there was music videos, and then it even went through this whole Gami Drek thing, really, because it was a follow-up to the album. Um, but, like, uh, who, who like, envisioned all this and, like, made it all happen? You know, I think me and Lex are having this exact same discussion the other day. I was like, where did this start, you know? Like, when did this start? Because I remember having the idea, location-based album. I was like, location-based okay. EP, LP, whatever. Somewhere City. I was like, we can do all sorts of shit with this, you know? We could, we could market it like a like a vacation i think i remember saying that and then it was kind of like a side comment and what happens like with us is we'll like have something like be a side comment and be like oh that's pretty cool for like two months and then like two months later we're like all right back to that really good idea that no one remembers who came up with it let's fucking grind (laughs) on that shit (laughs) and it and it always ends up like we're like who really thought of this and then we kind of like you know like different people will put in different levels and different ideas there and it'll become sort of it really is a team effort i will say lex is definitely the one who pushes through and makes the shit happen because i can do that for music and nothing else (laughs) in the world i can write a record you know whatever try my hardest on that but if it comes to like actually like if if you were like yo rylan you need to make the somewhere.city website i would be like awesome and then we'd have no website that's just how my brain works i guess not like that's just i I'm, i don't have the wherewithal to go about that it's 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 an overwhelming thing that i don't know how she's so good at to just be like be like i'm gonna make this website and i'm gonna get these brochures ready i'm gonna do this and like you know send out brochures we have an extra brochure oh let's send it to ian cohen you know let's send him a free brochure <laughs> oh <Yo>, shit <laughs> Um, let's send people free brochures that we just, you know, like, <laughs> just cause fuck it. Let's give people the shit. Let's give, that was something that like you had to sign up for on day one. Like when, um, when the site was like announced or whatever before the album was even announced, but there was like leftover ones that we had. And Mike was like, you think I should send this to Ian Cohen? And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Um, I'm pretty sure that's why we got a pitchfork review. <laughs> I think it would have happened either way. Ian's been like on the grind of trying to spotlight like more DIY bands, like the new wave, <laughs> the floral tattoo reveal, like that came out of fucking oh, yeah, note. yeah. yeah. That's um, sick. <laughs> leading up to the LP release, 
were you noticing more hype than you anticipated? Noticing more hype. Yeah. Okay. So we played one show between none of the album being out at all, like no singles, and the full album being released. And that one show was our fest showcase at the fest in Gainesville. Um, yeah. Holy shit. And, yeah. And we opened up with the way that we open a set. There's a live only song that we have called Fuck the 1%. It's just this D beat thing. Um, it transitions into 24 hour drive through. And we played that song. So it's like, that's like the first real song where I said, you know, um, and there was like an immediate response. Like when the guitar riff, like of the beginning came in, and I was like, Oh, that's cool. You know, I've never heard someone just clap for a part before. That's sick. Okay, cool. And then like everyone in the front, like sang gang box to that whole thing, sang to a lot of it. And there was a lot of like participation during that set, but it peaked right there. And I didn't expect that, you know, like I was like, you know, it's a new song. We'll see. We'll try it out. But it was like people were fucking with that shit heavy and more so than like other stuff, like other what I thought were like more of our (laughs) popular things, you know. So I was like, man, maybe like maybe this record is going to, you know, do a little bit better than than like other things would have done. Um, Even like statistically, once we released a single, we went higher like in the number game than we ever had before in terms of like Spotify listeners, Twitter followers and shit like that. Uh, Stuff that doesn't like honestly really mean hype all the time. But like in that instance, seeing it like as a direct correlation to just a single response or just a single release and then the whole like game thing and stuff. I don't know. It was definitely like hinting at the idea that maybe, you know, this was going to do something. Maybe. Who knows? So I definitely think that there was like a building hype, but I didn't see it like firsthand. I definitely saw a lot of people on the internet being like, I'm super ready for this album to come out and shit. But I feel like in the two weeks after the record's release, that's like when it became its like peak thing mm-hmm. that I was like, oh, this is this is different like than anything we done. Like it's different than what I expected, uh, which is, I guess, you know, it makes sense that it would be that way. Like after the record's out, after people can dive into it. <laughs> yeah. It's also weird because like, I, I've always kind of been like, if people are hyping this stuff, I'm like, ah, no, we, we're just tricking them. You know, they're actually not hyped. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna fall off that shit. They just got tricked by us. It's, it's an illusion, and they'll fall off. Yeah, one of the funniest things that I witnessed was when Pitchfork like tweeted the review of the album. Like the like chain of Gami game uh, comments went for like a fucking. <laughs> <laughs> like 350 responses oh yeah Gami it was gang. just like a fucking physical mile of people saying gami game <laughs> i can't remember where i was when that happened i think it You're was probably on tour right i don't think it was on t- t- maybe what no I, I think it was like right before we left for the team tour because i remember short fictions got theirs while we were on tour with them all right and yeah. i think we had already had ours for like at least a month. i think it was like the beginning of december or something i can't remember i just remember that was like the weirdest day to just be on the internet because it was like half mfs being like hell yeah hell yeah and then just other people being like fuck pitchfork <laughs> <laughs> this shit sucks <laughs> and i was like yo okay this is weird i remember like i, I had to delete twitter after that day i was like i this is this is crazy this is really cool that they wrote about this shit, but it's very weird. Very weird to be perceived. Let me just say that. Yeah, I mean... Very odd. This is way different than, like, when I was 
staying up till midnight just to see what new albums were reviewed on Pitchfork because that's what I would listen to. But like now when I see if a band's reviewed on Pitchfork, like is someone checking out an album because of Pitchfork? I don't know. It seems like it's just like yeah. a validation thing at, at this point. Yeah, it's yeah. like a it's like a cosmic reinforcement. Right. I would definitely say it's more of that because it's I don't know like how much it really helped like with exposure. There were definitely people that were like, "Yo, I listened to your thing because of Pitchfork. I had seen your name before, but I listened to it because right. the record yeah. was reviewed." And I'm like, "That's cool. You know, I'm glad that that happened." Um, but I don't know like what the numerical difference is because I feel like in a prior state of music journalism it definitely would have it could make or break a career you know like a a 9.0 versus a 2.2 could make or break like a band's following but i feel like it's it's a little bit of a different um placeholder now that it's like so that now that you know like the way that music is on social media and shit like the way the bands are it's it's interesting to see, and I like. I'll never actually know, you know, like what the difference between Gami getting one and not getting one would be. Yeah, it's weird. It's like an, in a weird state, but definitely like it's still fucking amazing to have, you know. Yeah. It's definitely a a thing that I didn't really ever expect. I people were telling me like, oh, I think you're gonna get a pitchfork review for this one, buddy, and I'm like, no way. But, <laughs> <laughs> I did uh, an interview with. Uh... This guy, Todd Burns, who runs a newsletter called Music Journalism Insider. And it's it's a newsletter about the music journalism industry. Um, and yeah. one, well, one of his questions was like, he, he was talking about like, where do you see the music journalism industry headed? And I was like, to, to a, a large degree, except for when like Pitchfork uh, drops a review of like a band that everyone else is, is just like excited to see reviewed. Music journalism is mostly read by other music journalists. Uh, so you're definitely right that it's in like a very different era than it, than it was. Like in, it's no longer the time where it can make or break a band. Uh, and that is now like up to Twitter. Like, yeah, fuck. Imagine mm -hmm. if you imagine if you like dropped some knife merch, you'd be dead in the water <laughs> like a month. <gasps> <laughs> Shit. Whoa. I wanted to make Oregon Angel shields. Yeah. That's so dope. <laughs> Just to promote safety. Uh, but now, I feel like... Oh, wait, you, you weren't going to make swords and shields? That would be kind of cool, right? Pokemon tie-in? Yeah. Yeah, I was actually just playing shield before. Imagine if you got, like, a Pokemon sponsorship, or a Nintendo sponsorship, I mean. Yeah. I was joking the other day, because uh, someone asked me about something on an Instagram live stream. Um... Uh, I talked about like the new mystery dungeon game that they released. And someone was like, there's no way that you like, like that shit. Right. And I was like, yeah, I do. I'm like, they don't even pay me to say this. Ha 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 ha. You know, <laughs> like, cause there's really weird. Like for whatever reason I went into like a detail of, uh, it sounded like a game review for a second, which was stupid, but uh, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. You know, I, like if they would just come and give me free games, I'm not saying anything, but you know, if Nintendo's <laughs> listening right now, you know, this just makes me, me up. feel like, it just makes me feel like I want to see you on Game Grumps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might, I might start, uh, I might start Twitch streaming like uh, ROM hacks at some point if, <laughs> if this shit lasts longer than like the yeah. next two weeks. <laughs> I mean, fuck, you could make a fortune. I might just do it for the hangs. I might just do it because I probably do it anyway, like play the game anyway, and I'll just be like, "F it, this time, I'm gonna get MFs in this chat." 
the guy from Free Throw. Oh, what were you saying? The guy from Free Throw is like a kind of uh, medium level Twitch streamer. Yeah, and also Dan from Real Friend, uh, Dan formerly of Real Friends, used to Twitch stream. I don't know if they still do, but I remember seeing Dan on Twitter being like, "I'm about to stream," and there'd be like a shit ton of people in the Twitch jump. Wait, is Dan, cool. is Dan is Dan Lampton no longer in Real Friends? Yeah, you didn't see that. Real Friends no. is continuing without Dan Lampton. What the fuck? That's weird. Strange, right? They're gonna they're gonna pivot back to bony eyes. <laughs> That's what they're gonna do. Because I I feel like having Dan in the band really pushed back on like Kyle's songwriting. Kind of created a better balance. Uh, never mind. Let's go back to the guy. <laughs> <laughs> The album comes out November 15th. Everyone says A-O-T-Y immediately. Uh, then y'all did like a tour with Cheem, and then you did the tour with a bunch of bands on a bunch of dates. All the shows look extra insane. Like I think Yeah, they're really cool. Just like at capacity. Um, were you at the Milwaukee show? Yeah. Yeah, the show was really fun. Yeah, yeah all that... those shows and that, that entire tour was crazy. I didn't know until I got home. I had bronchitis the entire time. Holy what? shit! Yeah. Are you sure? Are you sure it wasn't Corona? I'm pretty sure because honestly, my symptoms were like way worse than like the beginning stages of like what people say. Like, oh, I had this and that. I was like, I'm real sick, y'all. I kept being like, yeah, I'm fucking sick. Like, you think we should stop at urgent care? MS would be like, nah, you just getting over a cold, bro. And maybe it was the Rona, but the thing is, like, <laughs> I don't know. It was pretty fucking intense, uh, and. It was weird. I had this whole weird doctor experience when I got home. But then I eventually, like, uh, I had such a bad ear infection. I thought my, my eardrum was about to fucking blow up. I went to the urgent care. And I was like, yo, like, my doctor, like, physician, whatever, told me I was good. But, like, am I, like, going to die? Like, I don't know. I feel weird as shit right now. And they're like, yeah, you have two ear infections as a secondary infection. And you probably have had bronchitis for a month and a half. and i was like (laughs) and like i won't like get it but i have like a pretty like weird respiratory condition as it is already so i was like i wonder if i just took like 20 years off my life or something right (laughs) but but ms told me i was good uh yeah it was weird time um but it was a lot of fun let's just uh yeah and then you announced this tour that's like all in like real venues and stuff now that's postponed or whatever so it seemed like pushed back yeah no but it's cool like this tour is like definitely like because we booked we booked that gami short fictions tour like way before summer city was even like starting the press cycle i think we had booked it right around the time that we went on tour with stars hollow in the summer maybe a little bit after Mm -hmm. that but i remember like me and alex were like uh alex martin that is we were like big brain tour planning because we were like yo they were like, Gami's going to release an LP before this, right? And I was like, absolutely. And they're like, well, Short Fictions is too. And I was like, oh, shit. I love those tours where you book them, like, at the assumption that the band is, like, you know, wherever Gami was at the time, you know, like, 15, 20K monthly, whatever, however, you know, whatever, how big we were perceived by venues and stuff like that. And then just to, like, put out records that get some hype behind them. And two records that did get a lot of hype behind them, honestly, yeah. in Fate's Worse and Death and Summer City is just, like, pretty lucky that they, they both had, like, a positive reception. Cool that they came out within a month of each other and then, like, super fucking sick that we were able to tour off of that. And then the, while the hype was still building, you know? Right. Uh, always, 
Always fun to do that. Wasn't there a show with Glass Peach on it too? Yeah, Glass Peach played the LA gig. It was really that's cool. An, Ian Cohen was there. Really? That's yeah, so sick. That's a very Ian Cohen lineup. Yeah. Yeah. Truth, truthfully, it was. It was super sick. Anything? Else? It was at a bowling alley. That's sick. It was crazy. It was awesome. I loved it. And then we played uh, Gilman in Berkeley, Bay Area, whatever specific city yeah. that is. It was super sick. Legendary soap. place. The Green Day yeah. place. Right. The Green Day place, yes. Ryan Ellery actually ran sound. Ryan Ellery, who records the Mom Jeans mm-hmm. uh, records and, so, and the Just Friends stuff. And they have to be like the absolute best like live sound engineer we've ever had. Like shit just sounded amazing. I don't know. It, it was, that was a really cool show. That whole tour was really like mind blowing and amazing and super cool. I was sick the whole time though, you know, like I said. <laughs> Every step oh, forward. But- Two steps. Back. By the way, I was wrong. It is in Berkeley. Oops. Sorry. It is in Berkeley? Oh. Dang. Well, Berkeley, Oakland, and what's that other one? San Francisco. They're all the same thing. Yeah. It's, Not really. It's all, it's all Silicon Valley, man. It's all Bay Area. <laughs> all right. So they I have two all more. like the Gold State Warriors. Two more questions on my stuff. So Lex hosts Gami Direct in like February or something to update people yeah. on their merch and their vinyl orders and also <laughs> to uh, slip in there that you've signed to Counterintuitive. Um, yeah. And it, it sounds like that was a no-brainer, like, or, or were there any other uh, big wigs with, like, re- reaching out and seeing what you're doing and stuff? Record people labels. reached out, you know. Yeah. People reached out. But to me, it's really important that the team that we've established – uh, would c- get to continue working together it, seamlessly, you know, like and adding someone into this team like Jake, who would kind of accept the fact that we like we you know have an idea of what we're doing uh, team wise, and that he can add what he adds, and that we will learn from him. And he, you know, there might be places where he can learn from us. You know, it's, it's, it's for me, I feel like the labels are are very interesting, and I've obviously had a very unique history with record labels being that the only one that I'd ever worked with was one of my best friends in the world ran it, you know, like Lex Mm -hmm. ran Chatterbot, obviously. So that's a pretty good position to be in, you know, being very good friends with someone. Obviously I have a different view on what a record label should be or could be, you know? So when we were like listening to stuff for me, one of the most important things was like, not only do I want to find somebody who respects like, our team and will allow this team to continue in the same way it is in like every single part of this team, you know, like I want to keep, you know, I want someone to be okay with us recording a next record with Jake Checkaway. I want somebody to be okay with us having Alex Martin continue to book our tours. I want somebody to be okay with us for us continuing to have Lex as our manager. You know, I want, I want someone to be not just okay with it, but in agreement with us that that is the best move for us. You know, I also wanted somebody who could see that I feel like, there's a lot of labels that'll come to you and kind of try to tell you what you're doing wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, this is why you need to see you sign with us because we could take you to this next level and things that you're not doing right now, you know, you, this is what you've done, you know, this, that, and the third, you know, the, you can maximize this in a different way. For me, the first conversation with Jake that we had, he right off the bat just told us all this shit that he loved about what we were doing, you know, just calling us legends for it, you know, and obviously anyone who actually wants to sign is going to do that. But I know Jake, you know, I knew that he was being genuine. I knew that he actually valued us not only as musicians, as, you know, record writers, whatever, 
but people who also plan rollouts, people who plan merch layouts, people who, you know, get the art together for this record. He, he trusted us and uh, respected us in, in every single facet. And I think that's really, to me, the most important thing in looking for a label is somebody who knows that you have the vision of what this band can be. What are they going to do? They're just going to, you know, add where they can. They're going to take your vision. They're going to do everything that they can to help that go as seamlessly as possible and add where they can. And I think that that is what made counterintuitive the perfect fit. Well, that also just kind of answered my final question, which is like, how has navigated the music industry been for you? Cause it seems like, uh, it seems like you've already surrounded yourself with folks who are DIY and know what they're in. They're like DIY, but they're also like professional. Um, and it seems to be working perfect. Yeah, I honestly, in my opinion, this has been the perfect trajectory for this band. And um, obviously, I'll say it like we are incredibly lucky to have worked with the people that they that we've worked with. Um, and we're incredibly lucky that the people who have believed in us have stuck by our side and, and done what they can do to, you know, help this band get to the level that they think that it can be on. I think that we do have a really tight knit team of people who want to give their all for this and that to me is like it's really like the biggest privilege on earth to have people on a team like this that are as committed to it as you are in every single facet you know and and obviously like yeah like we've had two pretty um ideal label situations for like what the band that we were at the time and the band that we are now Mm -hmm. i just i do feel really lucky i feel you know not to like feel like blast or whatever i feel very I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunities that we've been given and the people who believe in us and i'm also very grateful that those people have turned out to be very genuine and have accepted us for what we do and continue to support us and push us and just help this team you know like you said you know be the the team that has its foot in the diy realm you know i don't think i'm ever gonna leave that area of my life i don't want to you know this is like what I've been a part of for like the last eight plus years, it's what makes me the person I am not to, you know, pinpoint it to that, but it's like, it's a very big part of my ideology is, is being in this scene and being a person connected to DIY and having people like that within your camp is pretty important. And I feel like there's nothing diluting our message. You know, there's nothing getting in the way right now of, us being like, well, we want to do this and we want to sell our merch at this price and we want to tour with this band in these areas and play these venues. And there's no one saying, no, you can't do that. No one's saying you need a $75 windbreaker and <laughs> anything like that. <laughs> Nothing, that's not happening yet. So I, I'm grateful for that because there's like what you get from Gami is what we are, you know? Nothing that's, we don't lose transparency because of some big boss in a black tie, you know? telling us you better come with your quota for the month 300k streams <laughs> not that, that actually, i don't know like i i the other thing is like, i don't know how that works either I yeah just no one's no one's screen. going like we need you to do a tie-in with razor scooters to reach the youth market <laughs> <laughs> those sellouts <laughs> um so somewhere city uh concept album about somewhere city but like i i feel like somewhere city the place 
is a metaphor for like the larger concept that the album is built around, which is uh, nostalgia. That's how I. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Effectively, that or like just any sort of form of escapism, you know, Um, Mm. which because like it seeps in on a musical level as well. Like absolutely, um, some of it is intentional. I don't know if other bits of it are intentional, but like. Um, we're going to get into it, like some specific songs, but there's like cool. some vocal melodies that literally remind me of like songs from the Pokemon anime. Um, there like, we go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I would like, credit it as a pretty big musical influence on the record. Or like uh, the the first riff in 24 Hour Drive Through sounds like ska influenced. Um, Hell yeah. Then, of course, like Doctor Hoomst has like an easy core breakdown, but it doesn't yes. sound easy core. It sounds like sludge mixed with easy core. There we like, go. And then the fucking the last beats and six 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 flags. Like this album is just like a like a melange of everything that was kind of hovering around separately in 1999, and then 20 years later, like some kids found it and. <laughs> put it in a blender and we're like this is yeah. the this is the album that defines like what DIY was in 1999 updated for zoomers. <laughs> Honestly that's like a little bit of like what I feel like it is. You know, I feel like it's it is like that. You know, it's like no influence is a bad influence on this record. You know, it's like fuck like where it's weird to be like we did this thing and no one else is doing it cuz everybody says that, you know. But it's like when we wrote this it was specifically like a let's just be about our shit in the most unapologetic way that we can musically you know like i don't want to i don't want to hold back from anything that we might want to do you know because Mm -hmm. it is about like what me and pat wanted to put forward like this is like who we are as musicians these are our influences this is where we're going to take it this is how we're going to make it different this you know where there are some more like emo pop whatever adjacent things it's like how are we going to make that our own what influence are we going to add are we going to add a ska influence are we are we going to add a fucking easy core break you know like it was that mentality like while writing this of like we should do what we feel is right and not what you would typically do in a song we shouldn't hold ourselves to any genre really and i mean like it was really fun to write in that in that way it's just a it's it's not limiting at all. It lets you kind of just be <laughs> what you want. Not to not to, you know be super cliche, but you know cliches are cliches for a reason. I feel like uh, I don't know. I definitely had a lot of fun writing and blending a lot of stuff together for this record. That I feel like if we went in with a different mentality, with a different message of the record, it might... fuck. Sorry, my headphones just almost died for a second. Oh, you're good. <laughs> you're good. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like that is what makes like. Uh certain songwriters feel so like individually them like because everyone steals from everything but it's the way that Absolutely. you like synthesize all those influences um and put it into one concise package that, that makes it because there's no song on this album that feels like oh okay we tried out this idea for this song and then we're gonna try a completely different unrelated idea for this song or and it doesn't sound like a whole bunch of like parts mishmash together um and, and like central song structure is a thing that I talk a lot about in the series uh, and like band's ability to like make everything kind of revolve around one idea. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of like evolution of melodies that happens. Um, mm-hmm. There's like a logical through oh, yeah. line from through each one of the songs. Um, 
like songs blending into each other and then of course it does like the loop at the end which i have to imagine yeah. that uh that when prince daddy did it y'all were like fuck a little bit <laughs> yes okay i was we were listen we're i'm about to switch headphones because i'm using like some dumb ones that are about to die right now i'm about to put in the apple ones with the connector so my audio about to take a second one second hold up <laughs> and I, I do remember when the Prince Daddy album came out, I tweeted something like DIY kids going nuts over the album looping like they never fucking heard Pink Floyd before. Um, <laughs> but I think that this album improves on the Prince Daddy thing a little bit in the way that or because Welcome to like literally references uh, the air up here, like within the song. So it, yeah, uh, it so does feel like thematically and lyrically and musically connected i think so like they both are so different in that um just like how they happen musically and like what they mean to the record um are are very different but i will say you know like i we were on tour going to one of the last shows of the stars hollow tour when the full record stream came out for cosmic thrill seekers and we heard that we were like no fucking (laughs) yeah (laughs) but uh, it wasn't like a damn i'm mad that they did it i was like that's actually really cool and it's it's interesting that that like we had both chosen to do something like that but that it meant different things to our record because i feel like with the prince yeah record, it, it kind of you know just gives a, another level of depth to the cyclical nature of those those uh mental health habits you know yeah um, i feel like on cosmic thrill seekers it kind of represents the like how a bad trip feels like it's never going to end. Yes, um, absolutely. And and then on Somewhere City, it feels more like I don't have to leave this place behind. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it's it definitely it for uh, ours is like more of a like this mindset doesn't have to go away type thing. Like it's it's more of a symbolism of like uh, you know, like exactly what you just said. You, you don't have to leave that because you know what it might be to you is completely unique to you and and you can keep that like forever you know um and then also you know musically there's kind of like comes out of nowhere which i feel like um not to say that the loop does but like you know how it has their fade out and then yeah and then it it, the strums start like after that for theirs it's a little more like um it's kind of like right when you think that it's over it starts again you know like yeah there's like, it's like a like a false climax yeah 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 and then it comes back into it and then from like just from like what that record's about exactly it's, it feels like you might get out of that cycle you might get out of that bad trip and and the uh whatever you know mental health plummet follows it like that is the narrative of that record but then right you know when you think it's over is like flashback you know like or whatever it is you know just sinking deeper into that whereas ours the thing continues you know like the riff goes into itself and it's part of the last song not just like after a fade you know what i'm saying yeah it's a little different i think it's it's cool and (laughs) that's the other thing too is when people are like are you worried that like people are gonna say that like lexi was like are you worried that people are gonna say this is a cosmic thrill seekers rip even though you had this way before you know I was like, I'm more worried that they're going to think it's a the wall rip, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't this where we came in? Yeah. It, it's it's funny. But, you know, obviously Cosmic Thrill Seekers is one of the best records of the year. It's an amazing, amazing just journey, for real. And it, it honestly, I feel like a little bit of a, 
a connection to them. Like, obviously not just, you know, we're on the same label now, but like, it, it was cool that we both did that independently. And I kind of think, you know, it, for me, is just another cool thing that people talk about when talking about those records together, because they've been one of my favorite bands for a really long time. You know, it's cool to see our record in discussion with theirs, especially when I've seen like how amazing their record was and just how much work they put into it and how much of a huge epic it is. It's just, it's cool that they're in the same discussion or sentences sometimes. It means a lot to me. So in a way that like <laughs> I could see maybe getting pissed about something like that, but I was just kind of like, damn, that's so <laughs> so funny, you know, <laughs> that we both mm -hmm. did that. But it's it's cool, and I mean, I'm sure that they'd say the same thing, but from, you know, a different perspective. It's not like they were looking up to Gami when they are 19. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm sure they say, you know, I'm sure they'd be like, yeah, Gami's sick, you know, which is cool. So I'm glad it happened. Kyle, do you have, do you have thoughts on Welcome To? <laughs> Um, not really. I mean, it's like the perfect intro. And I mean, the only note that I made about it when I was doing my listen was that the way that it starts, I just know that it's going to have a very, uh, origami angel type of eruption eventually. And it does. And oh, it's great. Hell yeah. Thank you. Well, that big, like, uh, the, the, the woes, no woes, sorry. Um, it, it reminds me a lot of like, uh, that early, uh, emo revival era that we covered when we were doing like the 2011 to 2013 run like uh, something about it feels very like like the world is ask you know yeah, I, yeah. That, yeah. That, that feels like that part and that song feels like the most emo revival on the record you know um, just that sort of I don't even know what the, the word is like cathartic no I don't know just like yeah, that, yeah. That, mm -hmm. that cathartic, of, and it's also like communal, you know. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. I wasn't like I was like I'm right the emo revival song now, but it was like when I wrote that, I was like, this is pretty sick. Reminds me of those those emo bands, uh, and it's cool. I'm cool. I'm glad that you think that because that's sick. That's uh, I think that too. That's Hell cool. yeah. Um, just so I can get this on the podcast, I think Ellie, you 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 told me this, but aren't you cousins with someone who was in uh? the the fucking pre-Algernon band yes okay so my cousin tj was the drummer in halfway to holland halfway to holland that was the name okay yeah, yeah. that, that band is so fucking sick very like good. i literally i literally feel like halfway to holland is a huge part of this record's dna honestly no, like, thank you like <laughs> I, honestly I've, I've like shown people that i'd be like this is honestly like where some gummy shit comes from like these riffs yeah. and like this energy you know and the presentation and like i think like and it was like no intention of pat to like try to drum like tj but i feel like even some drum parts sound like halfway to holland drum parts and i think that is one of the coolest parts about that band is just the energy of those tracks it's it's really cool yeah my cousin yeah was in halfway to holland he's still super influential in my life got me into a lot of shit he was in another band with joe reinhardt called like lions they were more like emo poppy they had anthony green on a song <laughs> which is crazy <laughs> But, uh, that's fucking sick it, it is sick and i remember listening to that stuff i was listening to that stuff when i was like like eight maybe you know like seven or eight and i remember getting into like cool new guitar music through his old bands and then finding out about algernon like being a con continuation of like the guitarist and the vocalist of like some of his old bands and i was like damn this is crazy you know just getting into other philly bands from there because he he is from philly and it, it i don't know it was just like that dude has had like a ton of influence on me and 
yeah, best cousin you could ask for. Right. That's awesome. What's What's your favorite Halfway to Holland song? The first track on the mixtape on YouTube. <laughs> oh, it, it comes with the territory. Yeah, I'll be honest. I had a demo uh, on a radio player in my childhood with Halfway to Holland that was absolutely trackless. Or trackless. It was just a oh. like a, a tape that played on a boombox that I had. And that was what I listened to when I was like nine or ten. And that makes you so fucking elite. I don't think you have any idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, I never knew it. You know, like I never knew how epic it was <laughs> until people told me yeah. about Half Colin. I was like, oh, you like that band? I was like, my cousin's in that. And it was always like a my cousin was in this thing. But, you know, like I didn't know other people knew about it. And I, I never even really like the thing that I dove into was like Lions. Like that was the band that I knew and like could download music of because I couldn't find Halfway to Holland on iTunes. That was the thing. Right, um, right, right. I could find them on the tape that I had them on and that was it. And I could ask my mom to ask his mom to send us other demos and you know, like that was it. Um, what I could find was like Lions. That's how I got into Joe Reinhardt. I was like, oh shit, like these are like really cool guitar parts, interesting melodies, you know, this is new stuff. And it's coming out now. And that was like my thing as like when I was learning guitar as a kid, like at this time, probably like 10 or 11, I was like, what the fuck is like out right now? That's cool. You know, like other than the Jonas Brothers. Like, what's this? <laughs> Naked Brothers band. Naked Brothers band. There you go. Yeah. I don't know. It's crazy. So it, it's weird to me that like people, like like some people in the corners of the internet are like, oh, like halfway to Holland is like, this legendary emo band and this shit and i was just like oh like i used to listen to that show when i was a kid you know <laughs> that makes me feel very warm and very cold at the same time seriously <laughs> like i said it's just like it's a very weird thing to like have a cousin like that and to, to me he's you know literally just some dude i see at thanksgiving to other people he is a drummer in a legendary unknown midwest emo band philly emo band let's say that like <laughs> emo easy core Straight like, up with those riffs, yeah. double kick, double kick. Oh, oh yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's awesome, and it's like I think that's like where it comes back to is those riffs, like hearing that shit as a youngin, and being like, oh, you can do this, because I had never found a band that sounded exactly like them, you know, because he's a he's a first and foremost he's a metalcore drummer. That's the most interesting thing about it is like, oh, you can hear it big time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just double kick all over the place and like and just you know hitting as hard as fucking humanly possible and it's like Algernon's not necessarily the same as that you know it's still dope different drum energy yeah yeah that's uh like when when halfway to holland uh, does like the the scrams bits they sound like heavier than most scrams because of the drum yeah literally yes like they they have that potential and that dynamic too and that's like that just comes from like i don't know just the band that he had been in before, because everything before that for him was like super heavy stuff I don't even know about. <laughs> Hell yeah! Um, Thanksgiving, he tried to show me a bunch of screamo bands when I was like twelve. He was like, "You ever heard this band? Four hundred years." I was like, "Ha!" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "I'm twelve, man. What's up?" Get your cousin on the podcast. Um, That'd be all cool. right, twenty-four hour drive through. All right, so we already mentioned that like uh, the opening riff is like ska influenced. Hell yeah. Um, but it also like it's it doesn't sound like ska necessarily. It just has that uh, like the same kind of tonality. 
Um, it has like that the the chord relationship that you would expect from like a ska intro, you know? Yeah, like a like picking pattern. Yeah. yeah. If it came in with like a dun, 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 like a like faster a little bit, and then like you could totally expect some ba da 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 ba da 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 you know to come in after that instead of going to like the like bigger chord drop thing. <laughs> you know, Pat Pat is like a ska mf. Like that's the ska really? guy right there. Huh. Yeah, I've I've actually like reneged a lot on my ska hate, um, just because I found out that Dina hates ska way more than I do, and that made me like the ska stuff I liked much more intensely. <laughs> yeah. I'll, be, I'll, I'll be the first to say I, I don't know shit about ska. I know what Pat knows. I know what he plays, and I'm like, that's neat. Let's do that. Like that'd be fun. I, and <laughs> that's Pat's thing. So he'll just be like. Yo, we should do some ska shit, and I'm like, that. And it, I don't know, it just rubbed off me in a way, I guess. Uh, the lyrics uh, of the song, um, there's there's tons of like painful specificity, like in these lyrics, um, like not just like Kenilworth Avenue to 193, but also fill up both of our water cups with Dr Pepper and then act like we paid, like I defy anyone who has ever been like 15 and. And fast food with they didn't do that you know <laughs> right yeah because um, it's like those those ridiculous uh like being like ridiculously specific is what makes things more relatable as mm-hmm. i as i always say but um i have i have heard like like if if i've heard like any critique of gami it is like about like the lyrics um yeah and in the sense that like they feel immature or maybe like fleeting i feel like one, I think the fleeting nature of the lyrics is like what makes them poignant. Thank you. Like, yeah, like it takes a it takes like a lot to write about being young and make the person listening to it feel that way, rather than just like remembering it. You know. Absolutely, um, and you know there have been like I've you know obviously I've seen that criticism and shit like that, and everyone is entitled to that opinion, but there have also been tons of fucking 40 year old people who say that gami makes them feel like when they heard wonder years the first time so like for every person yeah. that's out there mm-hmm. saying that like saying that oh like fuck you know this shit is so childish why can't you write like a 35 year old man um maybe i'll get there someday you know but it's like you know this is just where we are this is like that's not it's what, not childish it's honest like that's exactly what I, you, I was gonna say it's like what do you want me to like say something other than what i feel like or think you know it's like because that's just like <laughs> it's just what i fucking do you know it's just it, it's it feels honest to write about that you know like if you were trying yeah. to reach and write some like jesus christ i'm 26 type shit like it would feel pretentious in the real way like yeah trying to well, speak to something that you don't know and if there's anything that like especially about this song it's that it doesn't feel pretentious it feels like like genuinely trying to like make your friend feel better um and this song uh specifically i think like has a capacity to make you feel like you got a friend there who's trying to make you feel better oh thank and you and, and there's plenty of uh, older fest bands that write uh, songs about cheering up their friends with drinking beer, and like I don't relate to that. I relate more to twenty four no, hour drive through. So right, that's <laughs> the other thing is like who knows like, but someday maybe I'll be able to write about fucking mortgages and having three kids. 
but like <laughs> that's just not where i am right now you know i can write about yeah. like what what i know and what i've known you know and if i ever get to the position where i do want to appeal to an audience of people that are over feeling anything other than remorse for their like upper middle class lives maybe i'll start writing that but it's like at this point it's like i'll write what i know about and people who want to hear that shit and want to resonate it with it will you know and yeah i don't know that's punk as fuck (laughs) thank you (laughs) yeah and also so is you know stealing sip stealing that's also yeah, punk. Sure. <laughs> uh do you want to talk about the sample what sample like right before the the whoa's the i don't know what it is like the dot 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 oh that's just that's just that's just my voice really oh it's, hell yeah it's, it's, on that <laughs> so there's layered some stuff later there's a couple electric guitar tracks there like doubled with an acoustic guitar like doing the same sort of thing except not like i couldn't play all the notes the same way i could on the electric because it was easier to like hold on the electric when i got to play the acoustic it was like kind of hard to press on everything so it's playing like a couple of the first notes of the chord like the lower ones and then there's three part harmonies in my vocals yeah all spread out throughout the stereo spectrum it seems so like it sounds so fucking like 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 magical yeah well that's that's shout outs to jake Checkaway for making our dry vocal track sound like dope as hell there's a lot of like there's like higher vocals and stuff there too that he definitely has like super reverby and stuff like that so i think that's just like how he makes it or whatever and i think like the combination of like the light acoustic guitars and stuff on the sides does that too but yeah people have asked me like so many different people have been like oh, that's definitely like mandolin on there right and i'm like no definitely oh that's like like Mario Kart and stuff. Yeah, it sounds like very like bleepy blurpy kind of. Yeah. Nope. Lord. Also, I just really like uh, the line, so just call my home from your mobile phone. Um, <laughs> I like when people say mobile phone instead of cell phone. I know here it works especially well because it works like uh, with the rhyme scheme. Yeah. But also it reminds me of uh, The Future Freaks Me Out by Motion City Soundtrack. There you go. Okay. That's definitely like one I thought about during it. Another one is... Um, this is a song called Wind Me Up by the Bare Naked Ladies. And Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta shut it down. Shut it down. It's over. Go home. What the fuck does he say? He's Throw your sticks and stones. Throw your mobile phones. But the thing was, it was like 2003. So like it might have been okay to say it then. I don't know. I was like five. So <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, 2003 is also when Future Freaks Me Out came out and seriously uh yeah and just just the pierre says it the, the correct way yeah <laughs> fuck it fucking canadians Goddamn. mobile, mobile. Oh. oh you're allowed to say mobile if you're canadian or if you're from like louisiana yeah isn't yeah. there a place called mo, mo- mobile, mobile. it's mobile mobile, mobile. Wow. It shows you how much i don't know all right are we ready to move on yes all right uh six 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 flags Kyle says this is the best song on the album. I disagree. It's the second best. Um, I think it might be my favorite. Um, it is really fucking good, though. Um, in your notes before, you deleted it, Kyle. But <laughs> Dude, I just wrote Googling. Kyle. Yeah, you just wrote the word Googling. <laughs> Googling. I thought Googling. it was a... It's it's a very jarring first uh, lyric to hear. Because I don't right. know. But 
then like i don't know if you're saying danny phantom and fucking dr pepper all over your tracks i mean googling yeah it fits into the vocabulary of somewhere city do y'all want to hear a fun fact yes uh the very first show the very first tv show ever to use the word googling uh was buffy the vampire slayer in season six (laughs) epic yeah just another reason that show fucking rules god damn the the fucking blast beats that close out this track beast mode it it fucks me up because it feels genuinely heavy it doesn't feel like like a pop punk band like throwing in like a like a heavy part for fun or it doesn't (laughs) it doesn't even feel like when like fallout boy or newfound glory would throw in like a nod to their hardcore roots it just feels like a natural extension of the song's energy uh, shout out to uh, Jake again for the production because it sounds yeah. like exactly the way it should. That actually reminds me, um, the bass on this album. You did the bass, right? Yep. Not that like the lack of bass takes away from the live show like whatsoever, but hearing out on the album and like hearing like all like the little nifty doodles like <laughs> just adds like so much fucking character. Hell yeah! Uh, mm-hmm. I've definitely like upped it, my live rate a lot too to like like compensate uh, for like, space and shit. The low end. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like it's it's getting nutty. It's cool. I I think that's also what makes like the climax of this song sound so fucking heavy is just having that that crunchy bass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. It's it's great. Jake always kills it. Jake knows how to mix like everything and like make it sound exactly how it's supposed to, which is like crazy. Because it's like, I don't know, like, I anticipated this record would be way harder on us to, like, get to sound right. But, like, the hardest part of it for us was, like, just, you know, performing this, um, which obviously, like, the edge of, like, doing it ourselves was, like, taken off because Jake was recording everything. So, like, super, like, comfortable. And then, you know couple weeks later he's sending us back like full mixes and stuff and just like it's sounding exactly how he wanted this record to sound and something that you can't really take for granted like <laughs> as a musician is like having someone who really gets what you sound like and just is able to act on it you know it's mm-hmm. uh it's there's a level of comfort there with jake that i'm just really grateful that we've like continued to work with him because of it's just like he can he can make you know those parts that are like sparse and like you know, stuff is more of like a background, like drums and guitar are more of a background. It's more of like supposed to be like a vocal taking a front like position. He can make that do it easily, but then he can also make those blast beat sections like hit really, really, really hard. And but you know, have the guitars be balanced in them and have the bass, you know, be where it's supposed to be in them. So it's like one thing to you know perform on our end, but just like knowing that Jake is always going to get that shit right is just like I don't know. It's it's super comforting to me as a musician and as someone who writes records to know that there's not going to be that challenge of like we need this to be like this you know like he just gets it right word um what would a gami gang theme park look like <laughs> i that's a good question they're gonna be like a wave pool right because i like wave pools because they're epic is the wave pool gonna be like the line to get in <laughs> that's oh that's cool okay so all right yeah ellie you can be my like co co um owner okay first thing first gami gang theme park 100 percent free it's sponsored by something i don't know we're gonna find nintendo some- nascar 
NASCAR. Yeah, sponsored by NASCAR, so it's free. The wave pool being the line to get in, brilliant. But I would think we take it. Maybe like a like a lazy river, and then it deposits you into the like the wave pool, and there's like different directions that you can go from the wave yeah. pool. Oh, that's neat. That's neat. Okay, so what about this? So it's like a parking lot, right? There's like a parking lot at like the top of like a parking garage and then so like the entrance to the lazy river is this like so this sounds like a water park but this is just the water park section of the theme park so anybody listening don't worry we're gonna get to the roller coasters eventually so the, so so there's a big water slide like one of those crazy ones and it puts you down a funnel like one of those funnel ones and oh, that's the, the royal flush yeah 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 and then it then it, it puts you into the lazy river you go down that you get you got your time you get your you know time to chill out you know Re, readjust after being dropped into the lazy river and then it goes and funnels you out to this wave pool and then that that can take you to the different locations of water park maybe now there's also a way for you to get to the park that's planned so the first thing that i want is i want the most like redundant roller coaster of all time like a four foot drop tower just because like i like drop towers except they scare the shit out of me when i get up to the top so we got the four foot one so it's like people you know <laughs> but it just goes like a million times but not too fast like just chill and it's like it's and then like there'll be like a screen Back. just um, imagine this was all happening at once it would be epic listen like, no oh, hey but that kind of just sounds like a complicated swing set <laughs> yeah say what you want but i mean like <laughs> we're here for everybody <laughs> you know, not just the drop power fans uh, oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> i'm playing uh <laughs> There's this roller coaster at Hershey Park, right? It's called the Fahrenheit something, and it drops in. I've never been on it, mind you. I'm way too scared, too. But I saw a YouTube video from my music teacher in third grade. I remember this specifically. Uh, it was like a point of view video. So it drops in at an angle. like It like drops in, like not down. Like It goes inward. So it's like more than... An, 180 degree change of something. I don't really know what to say. It's more than 90. Fuck it. It's like a acute angle. Okay, there we go. That's <laughs> where it drops in. So I want one of those, but instead of having to be an acute angle, you'll get one. Instead of it being like 85 or whatever it was, I want to drop that's at like 69 degrees. And oh. then you go up. And then you go up <laughs> nice. later. And you, you get another one at 60. But instead of it being 60, you do a loopy loop first, so it's 420, you know? So it's like 360 plus 60. 69, 420? All right, nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. And, then, <laughs> and then there's going to be another one at, let's see, negative 49 degrees. Then you get your 311, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and that's like the main attraction. It'll just be called like origami angles. Shit. That's good. That's dope, right? The Origami Angles roller coaster. Um, so he's got all those cool angles that are epic, and those numbers have nothing to do with anything. Um, they're just epic, you know. That's this definitely was some. Of- <laughs> this is some comedy bang bang level like improv art. I really like the genius description of this song because uh, it it kind of takes what I was gonna say. This song is about the discrepancy that a lot of creative-minded people face dealing with thoughts of extraordinary ambition paired with crippling self-doubt, like. Yeah, like, um, but I know that there is nothing stopping me from being the person that you see on your TV. Like, I I feel like that line's kind of like the the key, like to the whole rest of the song. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that's kind of like what it's around. Um, and I've, def- I've never heard that genius description, actually. So that's very spot on and like, crazy and good. So props to whoever wrote that. They definitely <laughs> hit the nail on the head. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely about that, like, creative, you know, cycle that you can get into. It's, like, it's weird, especially for me, where I'll, like, be, like, so manic, like, when writing, you know, like, I'll have these episodes where it's just, like, flow, flow, like, no sleep, whatever, you know, just, like, writing shit and, like, writing a whole somewhere city or half of it and stuff like that and just, like, feeling, like, so, I don't know, so, like, unstoppable artistically, but then, like like screeching halt that you experience once you realize that like that could just be all an illusion in your mind and that it might just all be bullshit and that it's like crap very hard to deal with <laughs> especially when you're like the only melodic writer in a band <laughs> very, very crazy so yeah that song is kind of like self-descriptive of that we moving on to dr hoopst kyle take it <laughs> uh so when I was listening to this and making notes, for some reason, I was, like, obsessed with saying, like, oh, this only has one verse, that's interesting. Or, and then Six Six Flags, it d- doesn't have a chorus, and then this one has one verse. And I, yeah. I, I you're, you're just trimming the fat and getting, and getting to the fun parts after, yes. uh, after fun parts, and it's great. Um, but the song is just, like, so positive, and I love it, and <laughs> um, the easy core breakdown on here is perfect. Hey, thank you so much, I appreciate it. Yeah, um, this song I feel like is kind of where like the mentality of the record switches a little bit for a second to be more like like f everything that's like holding me back or holding others back. You know, it's not to say that like this is the one one personal narrative for a whole entire album. Um, I actually view it as ten different ones, but I don't know. I was actually worried about like how positive this song was, and also how <laughs> just like point blank like a fucking danny phantom happy meal shit is like i I never thought about that lyric i just wrote it sang it recorded it not in the studio but like as a demo and i was like you know that's gonna be it because that feels honest to me and it feels like what this song is about and sure that's probably been the main lyric in a long string of criticism as to why people think that we are immature but it's (laughs) i mean i have i actually have like uh complex thoughts about the danny phantom lyric um but no it's well, well first i just want to say it's interesting that you feel like this is like a perspective switch on the record uh just because i kind of feel like it's like the thesis statement of the record like Definitely, it's like yeah. a time machine. Like that too. it's just it's like a time machine just brought me there like it feels like what somewhere it is supposed to be Absolutely. it's like mm-hmm. yeah. your internal Definitely. Time machine Definitely is like one of the tracks that's like this is the record where it's like i kind of feel like um the first three tracks are all very different in their sort of introduction to the concept of the album this one is the kind of one where the full actualized fully realized concept comes to like fruition i guess it's like it's like that's when it that's the first time you hear this like finished product you know Um, yeah so definitely like it also serves as like the statement of like the internal um mentality of it so I I just checked it uh, to make sure that Danny Phantom uh, premiered before Avatar: The Last Airbender, which it did. Um, but I feel like Danny Phantom was uh, the first Nicktoon that it still it, because it was created by Butch Hartman. I feel like it still kind of like had a lot of like the zany energy of 
like the Fairly Odd Parents, but that show in retrospect kind of dealt with like a lot of mature, difficult themes um, yeah. that, that um, I struggle to think of like any pre-adventure time shows uh, actually like tackled. Um, Definitely like, I mean, Kid was sad as hell, right? <laughs> yes. And, like, uh, just the whole concept of like having something that's so crucial to your identity that you can't like let on to other people or else they'll crucify you for it is just like it's I, I like the way it's presented in that show and I feel like that's a reason that that show is so relatable like in a way you know yeah so I was thinking about Danny Phantom and just like trying to connect it like thematically with uh, somewhere city and I I didn't rewatch any Danny Phantom because I didn't have time, but I, I did remember the uh, the future Danny episode where oh, yeah. future Danny becomes a villain. That episode's yeah. like really emotionally fucked up. But to me, that actually like weirdly ties into the theme of what Somewhere City is about. Like the fact that looking into the future, uh, uh, there's a possibility that things can get fucked up and too much for you to handle. But, but like, so, Somewhere City is about using nostalgia to kind of self-analyze and self-actualize. Yeah. And the way that Danny Phantom goes back, fixes some of his mistakes is kind of the way that Somewhere City uh, gives you a place to unwind and figure out where you want to go with your life. Damn, that is sick. I did not think of that specific instance when writing that line, but I mean, like, that's cool, and I'm gonna go with that. Honestly. Oh, listen, you'd never fucking know that I never actually finished my English major because that was some lit analysis right there. That was lit analysis. <laughs> I also um, kind of think of like that whole idea is very like existential, right? Like you can have this whole future laid out in front of you, where it, in the scope of somewhere city, it might be like you know a future that. Uh, you despise you know like the american like standard of like what life is you know something like that and seeing that could be the same thing as like you know danny's evil self or whatever and just like having that whole like no like i don't have to be that shit like i can do everything in my power to erase the part of that yeah or of whatever that would lead to that you know and just be like this is who i am this is who i am and it's perfect for me and that type of shit love it hell yeah Danny Phantom episode. I think I think the most existential cartoon I watched growing up was Ed, Ed and Eddie though. Facts. <laughs> yo, the episode where like everything like like the animation starts falling apart and they like oh. take, take Jimmy's outline away and he like literally melts. Like that shit's crazy. <laughs> that was so fucked with me. Uh, all right, say less. There we go. Um, so this is my favorite song on the album. Interesting. I love it when this is people's favorite song on the album. This is, it's like a, I feel like, I don't know. I won't say it's slept on because I don't even really know. But like, I think it's slept on because I sleep on it, to be honest. I feel like the reason that like 666 Flags is uh, like Kyle's or yours favorite song is that like the friction between uh, being ambitious and having low self-esteem is like much more central to uh, maybe y'all's existential struggles um as someone who maybe has uh, a a divisive personality i really fucking connect with 
a song that kind of contextualizes uh, the feeling you have when like someone you thought was your friend is talking shit about you behind your back. Yeah. Um, and I, there's a lot of like pop punk or hardcore songs. Like a pop punk song would be like much more mopey about it, and a hardcore song would just be like, "You changed and stabbed me in the back." Um, yeah. You know, but uh, say less just kind of feels like a, like just like a like a very honest plea to be like taken seriously. Um, and, and though I'm not the type to ever throw a fist over things like this, like solving things with violence is. Uh, obviously something that like necessarily needs to happen sometimes, but like in a friend group where it just kind of feels like psychological torture to uh, just have this like kind of unspoken friction, you do feel like smothered, like unable to actually like say your true feelings. So you just kind of like swallow it up and then it, that breeds like a lot, a lot of self doubt. So yeah, no, I, I really fucking love say less. Yeah, you got it. I mean, that's it, you know. I also am just happy that Emo in 2019 has room for diss tracks. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like there's a lot of, like, Emo just diss tracks that are like, blah, you don't love me, blah, 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 fuck this shit. But that's, like, you know, the Emo pop punk side of it. I think it is, like, dope as hell to be, like, <laughs> I trusted you or looked up to you or something. And yeah. you honestly, like, fucked some shit up and, like, for that, I'm just gonna say fuck you on the song. Like I'm gonna say fuck you on the hit album. You know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's there's like talking shit, which like everyone can deal with. I think like because everyone talks shit, and like if you can't take it, then don't dish it out. But then there's like someone like actively trying to undermine you, like from behind yeah. your back, especially when they run in your same circles or like you have similar goals and want to be in a similar place. It just like is really toxic. I feel like it's, uh, the fact that the song is also catchy as fuck, like kind of like bolsters that dissonance of like being pissed off and having to like keep it under the surface. Well, thank you. I'm glad you think that. Like, I think, I think that is, it's a cool thing to like try to make that, <laughs> anger or that frustration as like sing-alongable as possible not that that's a word but you know like that's just a way that you can get that shit out of you you know it's a way that you can let that dissolve stuff can seem so bottled up and you can be so tied down and feel so unheard because of somebody else but like <laughs> if you hear a room of people saying some shit that you wrote about something you're like okay yeah like i know that i was not in the wrong here i know that like i was wrong but it doesn't even really fucking matter you know like yeah like this is why i do it i do you know i don't know it's weird it's a weird something pretty personal to me but it's like it's weird i also felt really weird about writing a song where it's like though i'm not the that was so the, the whole thing is like i was like this song sounds so like violent and aggressive that led me to reading writing i'm not the type to throw a fist over things like this but i really like the chance to speak my mind you know, like saying, your goddamn mind. My goddamn someone, mind. someone highlighted this and said, Ryland uses this word a lot, like a lot, a lot. It's kind of hilarious. I never even <laughs> realized that I was doing it until we listened to the record on the way back, like rough mixes on the way back from like tracking. And I was like, I say goddamn at least 10 times on this album. But that's fun. <laughs> it's cool. 
I mean, I think I was like, maybe next record I could do something else, like find another word to say a lot, like motherfucking. I think that I might do that. <laughs> yeah, thanks for letting me get like uh, vulnerable with y'all. Of Appreciate course, it. yeah. Of course, yeah. Escape rope. I think this is the <laughs> Sorry, most aggressive sounding song on the record. The most aggressive or most yeah. impressive? Aggressive. aggressive. This one is like, I feel like a little bit of an outlier in that it kind of, um, it does take the opposition. It doesn't. It it doesn't in my in my head canon, which I guess is the head canon that I wrote the album. Um, it does not take place in the city. It doesn't. It's not part of Summer City. It's kind of like the outsider perspective. So Wait, is the song from the perspective of someone else then? Yeah. Oh um, shit. Yeah, it's it's supposed to be like there's two kind of ideas there, or two two ideas in my mind of like what it is supposed to be, and it's both of them at the same time. One of them, it's like, it's about the negative mindset of someone who might criticize you for wanting to feel okay, you know, for not wanting to just like suffer like everybody else. But I think it also has to do with, I think it's like a flashback, like mm-hmm. as to like where we are in this like records journey. And it's the first song on the second side. Um, I feel like it is like, yeah, like a intro scene, black and white flashback, 1975, like the, or, you know, whatever, <laughs> like just like, <laughs> Just some shit that's like, it's it's not up to date with where we left off from side one, and I I specifically thought of like a like whatever type of show you'd have where you come back after like a cliffhanger or something, and they lead like a new or start a new arc with a flashback. It kind of feels like that. Yeah, songs are cool. That's cool. It's called Escape Rope. Yeah, yeah. I was I was thinking about like how it's called Escape Rope and the perspective of the song feels like wanting to just immediately dip out of a situation like when you're in a dungeon and you're like fuck this i need to get out and apply escape but like now that you mentioned it's from like like a flashback it's like taking the escape rope to somewhere city man yeah that's kind of like what the title's supposed to mean word okay you know i'm glad i'm piecing uh, this together obviously uh, like escape rope is a pokemon item so many people call that song escape room and people say escape room to meme uh, and I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? And they'll be like, the song. And I'll be like, oh. Because like, it take, takes me a second. Like I'm like, escape room, like the thing you do <laughs> with people. <laughs> the thing they do for like, the team builder. Leading yeah. <laughs> exercises for AmeriCorps jobs. That type of thing. Oh, you're talking about a song or Oh, okay. You know, whatever. And I, I'm not going to be like, oh, don't you mean escape rope? But it always takes me off guard for a second when someone's like, escape room. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> but yeah for me it's like an outlier on the album um and i i personally like when the first song on the second side of a record is like the outlier i, I like there's a couple positions that i like i like i think about like the like the geography of an album a lot in terms of like track sequencing yeah sequencing stuff like that but just like what means what to an out al- to an album and where it's almost like a fleeting concept now that like stuff is so streaming based like a side of a record but with this one, it works just because it's 10 songs and you got the first five and you got the second five. Whether or not, you know, it's, it is felt by anybody else or if it's apparent, I still think it's like a meaningful tactic, like in a, any sort of story thing to have something like that in the second half, like that leads it off. That's just a little bit different than what you've heard before. Also, tonality, I feel like it's the first time it taps into that sort of aggressiveness and not necessarily majory music wise, you know? I don't think the song is the most aggressive on the album. I do think that is uh, 666 Flags. But 
Um, Me too, kind of. Lyrically, the song is like absolutely the darkest on the album. For sure. It is definitely, I feel like, the an outlier because of that, where it is like the most pessimistic song. I remember people asking me like how I was going to fit it in. Like I showed Lex a demo of it and it's like, how is this going to fit in? And I was like, don't worry. Like, <laughs> I think I know. Like, uh, and co- the way that it transitions into the next song is goes with the idea of it being a flashback. Like, and uh, like the idea was very visual to me having it black and white, this whole two minute, 30 second song. And then this whole build up, and then just like a cut, like, yeah, like a drop title track yeah. start. And it, it goes to full color, like Wizard of Oz style, not to print Daddy again, but. <laughs> yeah, I, just, I really like uh, the repetition of So Go, like, because that's, that's like the ultimate, like, fed up, get out of my hairline, right? Like, just go yeah. then. Damn, now that you thematically explained it, the way it segues into title track is <laughs> fucking sick. Um, I, I think, like, the vocal cadence of the song is really, really good. Thank you so much. This is this is the the title track is specifically the song where I was like, oh, oh shit, this sounds like like Pokemon music. <laughs> Hell yeah, those chords like feel like uh like Gen three like Rustboro City to me. Yes, like yes, hundred percent. Gym leader battle like you just beat them and you're about to go get the the uh, Dex Nav or whatever it's called like the Pokenav from the dude. It sounds like that type of like those chords have that same type of pull to me. Which is sick. I'm so glad that you hear that because, like, that that's just how it feels, you know? It's something I tap into a lot by accident, and then I'm just like, you know what? That's sick. Like, I'm definitely keeping that. Yeah, it's got that, like, same, like, watery, like, airy type feel, you know? Yeah. If that was, like, 8-bit and, like, instead of the guitar strumming, it was a little swung, like... Yeah. It sounds like what plays in, like, the stores in those video games. It just... <laughs> It's how it is. I kind of want to make an ape version now. Fuck yeah. But it, simultaneously, it's like very, very uh, propulsive. Um, God damn. <laughs> Kyle has no more notes, by the way. Damn. Nope. I gave up there. Kyle's like, those last three songs fucking suck. We'll talk about the first six. <laughs> the title track is one that I didn't expect people to like that much, but it's one of the ones that get, like, gets the most reception live, which is really cool. It's interesting because like it's one of the only songs where there's like a part where I'm not really playing on it. Like for the verse, like where I'm singing, it's like I'm just holding out this chord. And the first couple times we played that, like you know, just Pat playing the drum part, I'm like, what do I do? Like I just realized, and I was like, I've never done this. Like where I just hold out a chord and I'm not strumming and I'm like singing and shit. I'm like, do I grab the mic? Do I like Barry Johnson this? Do I give it to somebody else? Like (laughs) what do I do? I'm so used playing the chord and singing at the same time always i was like i have a hand free i was like i don't I have two hands free i just strum the open guitar i was like what do i do should i take my hair down like <laughs> i can do anything but yeah i love playing that one a lot, a lot too i love pat's little breakdown section yeah it's, it's cool um i, I like remember. how sorry go ahead i was just gonna say i can't remember whose idea that was to like like uh chunkify that riff but go ahead. What were you gonna say? <laughs> um, I was just gonna say, like, it kind of, like, it, 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 it's very like logical in the flow of the album because you have like Doctor Hoomst, which is like, oh, this is what like life can be when you step away from all the bullshit, and then you go back to the bullshit with say less, um, 
and then kind of like trace back to the roots of it with escape room and yeah. then the title track is just like uh kind kind of like oh remember dr Hoomst? this is how we get yeah. back <laughs> absolutely yeah it kind of feels like to me it's like um it's that narrative and narrator of dr Hoomst, but in like a more like i guess like realized form like a, a an adjusted form you know like someone who's like used to feeling like that and just kind of communicating to others instead of communicating for themselves you know i mean not to bring it back to pokemon but it does feel like professor oak like at the beginning games that that's fine (laughs) bring it back to pokemon as much as you want that's perfect that's what i want you know that that's hell yeah oh yeah that's i'm gonna start saying this this song written by professor oak i hope someone writes the genius this song is from the perspective of perfect professor oak (laughs) all right i'm making a genius account specifically for that hell yeah (laughs) This song is actually about Professor Oak. Uh, all right, Skeleton Key. We're heading into like the home stretch of the album here. Home stretch. Um, the big three. Big props for actually getting away with the math rock woo. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was uh, definitely like holding out for that one. We never did the math rock woo before. You know the the pause woo. Um, yeah. At least That's that kind of way, surprising. and I was like, "Should we do it right?" Now? And it was like, "You can do that once, you know, like in that way." And and the way that like the strumming guitar came in with that, I was like, "I was like, if we didn't do a woo here, I would feel bad." <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, like normally it's like, "Don't say it, don't say it," but here I was like, "You better fucking say it." <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm uh, I'm I'm happy we did that just because like. Now we got the woo out of the way, you know? And I remember we, we actually had this discussion on the podcast before about the woos. I can't remember which one it was. It was uh, probably the one with Third Row Records. I think so. Yeah. Like, fuck woos. And I was like, I think woos are kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> you know, I had this in the back pocket. But I, I'm sorry. Did you say fuck woo? Watch that fucking Hulu series. I'll take it back. Oh, yeah. I bet. <laughs> but then... um. I think Ellie, you were like, I'd love a like a Midwestern you betcha before a drop. And I was like, <laughs> that'd be so sick. Wow. Uh, I'm thinking like maybe we could do a I wanna do a ya. Like ya would be really cool. I, I feel What's like a- the time for like a for like a saw is well over. But like maybe <laughs> in two years when it's like nostalgic to do a saw, like that'd be cool. Uh, a damn is cool. <laughs> It would be it would be fucked up if this conversation is the only thing we had to say about Skeleton Key. <laughs> Moving on to find like, no. the is the Go Skeleton ahead. Key the is the Skeleton Key the key to Somewhere City? Uh yeah, in in my head it is. It serves you know more than one purpose because I feel like the Skeleton Key. It's, like, it's weird because what I knew a Skeleton Key as was something from like video games that unlock everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's also you know like actual real life skeleton keys that are just keys that look like you know weird <laughs> but then yeah. also there are real life keys that open everything so for me it was like um this is like the only song on the record that has anything that could relate to romantic type of love but it's not romantic i've, I've seen people call it a love song before it's not really like that that type it's it's more like a not familial but like well, platonic like, love yeah, like human compassion, platonic. I was gonna say platonic just because I feel like, but honestly, to an extent, yeah. 
I don't know. That's just like where I, I felt like writing that song was. It, it's not about like anyone or anything in specific. Actually, if it's anything in specific, it's about being away from something that you're comfortable in. Like, so it's about like touring low key and then just like how you adjust to being away from something or someone that is like really important to you and just like, you know, what they mean to you, what it means to you, whatever. It's like at the same time as it's like that, I'm just gonna make a, a deeper connection. What was it? It's also like how that person relates to the idea of this city or the mindset or whatever it is, you know, and how to tap into that mindset even when you're away. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. Um, as far as like a narrative song on this record, it definitely has a more like oddball twist to it, but at the same time, it's um, it's definitely still within that realm, and yeah, just that skeleton key is like it could be your homies, it could be your partner, it could be honestly like your parents or your sibling or anything like that. It's just like something that like brings you back and opens everything to you, you know. And then okay. I had, like, my favorite thing was the uh, I showed someone the chorus um, before I had the part after the chorus. And the chorus to me is the, I hope you know everything you do is special to me, you're my skeleton key. And someone said, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> and I was like, do you even have to ask me? <laughs> so it was... Like, <laughs> you're like, this song's definitely not about you then, fucker. <laughs> yeah, but that's where I got the next lyric that was like, do you even have to ask me? You know, I want to be there with you or whatever. Um, that's cute. But yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's one that I like, forget that i'm proud of writing but then when i listen to it i'm like damn skeleton you like low key goes hard i thought that it kind of sounded like a closer song i know that the, the that the, the actual closer in this album is more than a closer it wraps up the entire thing but like if this one was the final song i thought that would be like a good ending to the album hell yeah honestly i, I feel like where it come from i feel like all of the last three songs could be closers you know mm-hmm yeah, yeah, it's it, it's like a home stretch in the truest sense. Like, right? Yeah, just kind of like tackling all the themes. Um, I I do feel like the air up here is more of like an epilogue, and mm-hmm. find your throne is like the real closer because find there your you throne go. much more than like even the title track or Doctor Whom's is like the most positive song on the album. Um, it's the song. Yeah. It's it's. I think it is the best song that I've ever written. Um, it is probably at the end of the day, my favorite and the most important origami angel song to me. Um, yeah. I mean, like literally every, every millisecond of this track is a hook, you know, Yeah. but also like it, it feels kind of like the, the classic, like pop punk. I love my friend song. Uh, Oh yeah. You know, like I, I feel like in the in the Pitchfork review, Ian Cohn was really hammering on like the skate punk thing, but I honestly didn't hear like very much skate punk influence in this record. I haven't um, skated AML since I'm playing, but uh, that's actually true. Every time I tried to drop in, I broke my roost. Oh shit! Yeah. Um, but like, really, like if I was going to pick like a pop punk song subgenre to tie it back to, it would be like the early like man overboard the wonder years fireworks era um and yeah. this song is definitely like this song is definitely like in that lane um and it, it feels both like a like a pep talk to like yourself and also everyone around you yeah like, that's how mm-hmm. that's how it feels to sing it to like to and to like write it and shit and then perform it it's just like it feels like that song for me is not 
it's like not many of these songs are actually me you know it's like these songs are like what i want to be you know and specifically like this one like this is the one that's like i want to be a person that instills hope in others but also myself you know like also i want to be a person that can self sufficiently bring myself back up from when i inevitably you know fall deep down that cycle again um and it's like that's exactly what this song embodies it's just being like a voice more than yourself it just being like a being something that can like let the littlest light shine you know not to be like cliche again but like is any of that a response to how a lot of twinkle bands kind of contemporary twinkle bands write sad songs and just kind of write them so they can just keep drowning in them a lot of it is a response to me doing that honestly all right um or or feeling myself do that and it's not like i'm not going to continue to do that in the future too um it's a but a lot of it's like a check on myself right why are you like letting yourself do this like is this even like do you even know what it's like to feel anything else at, at this point and that's like a lot of what this record is you know it's like a, a check to myself to be like are you fucking sure you want to do this are you sure that this is the best way to you know go about art that you love to make is to like make art that makes you feel like shit and honestly nothing like is a true terrible offender of that in our discography but it's like even just from like a mindset state it's it's kind of like that uh but definitely not like a response to like any particular bands that like continue to do that because honestly like i think everybody has an equal right to write about whatever they want to you know uh, whether or not it's uh, hyperbole or just matter of fact of like where they are in their mental health journey is like i could never try to criticize somebody else for like continuing to do that i do like to see growth but it's not something that's necessary and honestly people you know art is art and it's not for me necessarily if it doesn't need to be you know people make that first and foremost for themselves um mm-hmm. and that's just, that's true with this record too you know so um this just popped into my head like because i was looking at you're the goddamn king of the universe i was like okay what if escape rope is like the panel of that meme where like the little skinny kid with glasses is on is on the internet and he's like posting asking for advice and then title track skeleton key and find your throne is like all the buff chads being like keep your head up king <laughs> here's, <Hell> yeah. <laughs> here's some suggestions can't wait to see what you do like that's it <laughs> yo that's great holy <laughs> shit you should make that you should post that it'd be great i'd retweet it if i had a twitter <laughs> <laughs> yeah it'd, it'd be great and all right we're heading into final song here oh shit dude the air up here is the this is y'all's uh i just want to sell out my funeral slash yeah. what a what a catch donnie <laughs> I you know? yeah uh i definitely agree you know i get that comparison i, I get that one thing because it is you know it's that reprise it's that final song that means Yes, what the album is, you know? It doesn't mean, like, this song is a huge offender of the, you know, this song doesn't mean anything close to what it actually does without the context of the album, you know? Uh, Mm -hmm. You need this record in order to truly, I feel like, get this song. Obviously, not just, you know, musically, the other parts uh, come back 
you know, thematically, this is in all, you know, all intents and purposes, this is a closer. This is the closer for Somewhere City. You know, and it might not be the type of mindset you'd want for a closer for another album, but just what this record is, it kind of juxtaposes musically and thematically a couple of things that like really, when I wrote it, tied it together in my head. Um, something that I definitely intended to do that I don't know if anybody's picked up on. So there's a musical run up in the beginning, or sorry, the end of Welcome To, okay? So, like, there's, like, this musical, like, rising thing that happens before the setting on the lights me down, right? Um, yeah. The air up here starts with, like, a chromatic, not chromatic, but a melodic descending thing, which is kind mm. of, like, literally the same thing backwards, just to kind uh, of... Yeah. I don't know, just to mirror that. It is supposed to mirror the beginning of that. The end of that song, the beginning, is, is just supposed to mirror it. Um so there's like that, like those two songs are obviously not just coupled by the loop at the end, but they're the bookended sort of actualized quote unquote um, perspective of this record. You know, one side you have the sort of Professor Oak vibe and then the other side you have the whole existential statement of like whether or not this shit around me is fucked. Like I'm here. I never have to go back to that bullshit again. And like, and I can be anything that I want to, you know, like I can be happy if I want to be, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. I defy anyone to like listen to this episode and not come away thinking that this was like one of the most artistically accomplished emo albums of 2019. Like, <laughs> thank you. I don't know. I just, I appreciate, I appreciate songwriting that feels like a well-oiled machine and I appreciate it even more when it's able to like translate on like a larger thematic level to the entire album. So right. yeah, I was, I was really looking forward to this episode. It's probably the episode I've been most looking forward to since the 2014 episode. So Hell yeah. yeah. What one that I'm joking. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine like, I don't even know anything else that came out to you. Obsessives EPs. Uh, uh, you're gonna miss it all oh yeah, duh. yeah. it's weird um having like a closer like this that does you know it uses a lyric from every song on the record in the reprise um and there are a couple ways i thought about maybe going about it i thought about maybe you know like stringing together a bunch of sentences with all the lyrics and kind of having this like epic build or whatever into the end but then it came clear to me like i was actually watching have you ever seen the movie amadeus the mozart thing no yeah there's this moment where he's like yeah i think i'm gonna use like 12 part polyphony um and like have every single line that was sung earlier in this play come back and and just fucking go ham like all of them go together at the same time and become this thing and i was like what if i could find eight different lyrics and melodies from the record that if i put them on top of each other made sense lyrically and musically over the chords that were being played underneath it. And then after that made the explosion, you know? Um, and it's like, it's weird because even up to the point where we recorded it, even in demos that I recorded it, I was so under the impression, I was like, this is not going to work. We're going to have to cut this. I'm going to have to think of something else that we're going to do here. We're going to have to cut this. And then like, we tracked everything and like Jake looped it all together and like, like just put it together and just gave us like a rough mix like while we were in his room. And like, I started tearing up. Like I was like, 
it's actually not even like on some like oh my like prophecy like my american idiot is like uh, (laughs) i was like i was like oh my god thank god i'm not gonna have to fucking think of something else to do here (laughs) i was like it worked i was like everyone told me it would work i told me it wouldn't work and it worked i was just so fucking blown away that it actually worked i was like that was just such a shot in the dark but like i don't know i stuck it out tried to make it work and it i feel like it ended up being one of the cooler parts of our discography um mm-hmm. especially you know i've never gotten a chance to listen to this record like through the first time you know like i wrote it it's right. impossible for me to write this or listen to this without expecting something but i can just i hope that it like became clear to people eventually like what was happening and that it was like the coolest thing of all time um just because when I thought of it, that's how it felt. You know, I felt like, wow, like, this is really sick. I want to do it. And obviously, it's not, like, the newest thing ever. Like, fucking Yes has been doing reprises and stuff. You know, like, since then, um, Mozart did it. So it's not, like, a groundbreaking thing. But um, I don't know. I was just really proud of it. It was kind of a step for me, musically and conceptually, that I think needed to happen in order to sort of have that confidence of, like, what I could do next, you know? And who knows? Yeah. Um, I, on like one last like conceptual note, I feel like this being the conclusion of the album and then taking the album as a whole, I feel like like Summer City is kind of like a response to uh, the older Gami lyric, I started bettering me because I wanted to be like you. Um, And this, this record, yeah, this record is starting to learn that when you, when you better yourself, uh, you take a step back and stop letting other people's perceptions of you uh, define who you want to be. That's literally nail on the head better than I could ever even say it. <laughs> but yeah, that there's like, there are lyrical allusions on this record to pass on your releases. You know, this doesn't live alone in a vacuum. Like all of our discography is part of the same thing. And Summer City is equally a part of it as Quiet Hours doing the most uh, Gen 3 and The Split are, you know, like they all are in my you know brain they're part of the same family and they might tell different stories and you know live in different parts of the musical universe but like they all coexist you know and none of them negate each other and i think something that's kind of interesting like with what you mentioned with like rom hack to like now it's like you can sort of see a little bit of a personal growth attached to origami angel like um at least I can see it like when I view the way that I thought about stuff, like when I wrote ROM hack versus when I wrote find your throne, you know, mm-hmm. and there was yeah. only really, you know, I wrote those songs probably both in 2018, 2017, 2018. I guess ROM hack was like really early 2018 and find your throne was really late, but you know, I wrote those within the same year and like there were some experiences that I, I had, you know, um just like i could tell like how much i had grown as a songwriter and as a person um just because i feel like that song is like the conclusion like rom hack two but this time you know they fist fight i don't know (laughs) fuck yeah (laughs) and with that that's the cap on somewhere city yeah three hours three hour monster thank you Thank you so much, Ryland. This was like, oh, thank honestly, you. like, I love, I love kind of, 
it was kind of like kind of a beautiful episode i think yeah i think so too honestly i, I fucking love when y'all have me on here it's it's uh so thank y'all so much for having me fuck yeah yeah or the final full out al- full album episode and i'm and i'm really glad that we got to do it uh with this album because like this seemed like you have crystallized a lot of the moments leading up to this record and it was really cool that they were still like fresh but like they seem like you remember so many like these bigger moments that we brought up and it's really cool absolutely like, that like none of it's been kind of like uh were we touring with that band at that time it's all just like right there so it's awesome oh yeah it is all right there it's so recent too you know just like it's super within recent memory and yeah i'm glad that we have to talk about this you know like now instead of in like three years and i'd be like i think that we did it's like no it's it's very fresh in my mind and uh you know (laughs) i didn't know that this was like the end of the year (laughs) yeah i didn't i didn't expect it so I thought we were just on to talk about, you know, the record, but not in that context. Um, so that's pretty cool. So yeah, yeah, thank you yeah. to the people, if y'all are listening to this, who uh, voted for us. If you didn't, I'm really sorry. <laughs> uh, nah. Everyone knows there's a fucking ton of great albums that came out in 2019. Um, I'm just, you know, honored to be in the same sentence as a lot of those. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Thank y'all again. Yeah, of course. Of course.